well, one thing that people I, I, I think don't get is that academic conversations and most conversations in general are a lot of work. And so it needs to be worth the work. And yes, I will go through the motions if I don't see it's worth the work and I you know, want to get a good grade or whatever. But what I'd really like it is to kind of step, step over that, that line into, oh, this is okay. I, I really want to do a little bit extra. I'm, I'm willing to say more. I'm willing to listen more and organize my thoughts and look up something in order to build up this idea that we're building together. I mean, that's kind of the, the goal. And I know, it's, I know it's idealistic. I have seen it happen. And I mean, you know, the more we can get that kind of thing to happen, the better. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. How do we move the needle from an over-scaffolded, over-scripted dialogue to a student-generated conversation that leverages academic language? What does a math-based conversation look like in a linguistically and culturally diverse classroom? Why is it so important for teachers to come together to talk about communication in the classroom and how it fosters learning? We discuss these questions and much more with Jeff Sweers. Jeff is a senior researcher at the Stanford Graduate School of Education and the Director of Professional Development for Understanding Language, a research and professional learning effort focused on improving instruction and assessment for English learners and other diverse students. He consults for national and international teacher development projects that promote language, literacy, lesson design, and formative assessment practices. Jeff's research focuses on developing classroom instruction that fosters high-quality oral language and constructive conversations across disciplines. Many listeners will be familiar with his book, Academic Conversations, which provides clear ways to support students in developing authentic, meaningful classroom conversation skills. His research and work has impacted tens of thousands of classrooms across the country in providing equitable access to grade-level content for all learners, reflective of college and career readiness standards. Before we get started with our conversation with Jeff Sweers, just a quick reminder that you can stay connected with us by joining our ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. There you can leave comments about this episode and others. You can also engage with great content like our short video series, Whiteboard Wednesday, blog posts, and articles. Finally, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This will help us continue bringing you the best topics and guests on Highest Aspirations. As always, thanks for listening. Here's our second conversation with Jeff Sweers. Jeff Sweers, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. Thank you. It's great to be back. It's great to have you back. And so I guess your first experience wasn't so terrible that you didn't agree to come back. So that's, that's good for me to know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's still sticking with me. Okay, good. All right. So let's go back to that first conversation. We talked a lot about academic conversations. It was really well received with our listeners. Um, and we talked about how, you know, those academic conversations can help cl uh, create a classroom culture of communication. 
As we mm -hmm. adjust our focus a little bit to like STEM courses and really particularly math classes, I want to start off by talking about what a math-based conversation should look like in a linguistically diverse classroom. That is a great question. Um, and, and one of the challenges, not just in math, but in, I would say, all, all classrooms is that um, every conversation is different. And so uh, it's hard to, you know, script out something and say, this is what we want you to say, because then suddenly it's not authentic anymore. So one of the things that, that is, a, is a challenge and that I spend a lot of time with teachers uh, doing is uh, com coming up with, you know, kind of a, a general idea and what, what, what skills, what language, what content do you want to uh, see happen or hear in the conversation? Um, one of the things I think I mentioned last time was that you would want to see the building up of some kind of idea, right? And in math, mm -hmm. um, we mentioned, mentioned last time there's, you know, I, I don't want to say there are three types of conversations. There are many, but we zoomed in on three different types. Uh, and in each one, they're, they're building up ideas. You know, what one type was, I think, creating, co-creating uh, a math problem. Yep. Another was uh, explaining a mathematical concept, like figuring out what's, what's a way we can explain um, this concept or idea that we're trying to learn right now. And another, another one, the most common one, the third one is co-solving a problem, right? Working together to solve a problem. But in each one of those, you know, you're, you're looking for, are, are you kind of sticking to building up an idea as well, as strong as possible, not just a couple turns a piece and then, okay, we're done. It's more about, okay, well, let's, you know, let's, let's clarify some of these things. Let's justify them mathematically, how, you know, figure out how does math work rather than just how do we get the answer as quickly as possible. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. was definitely, I've had this conversation with a few people now, and I think that was my experience uh, in school was how do I get the answer mm -hmm. as quick as possible? But it seems like that's shifting um, a lot, you know, which I think is a good thing. The idea mm -hmm. of talking through math. I've just read an article today and shared it about that uh, from California, from your neck of the woods and how that's actually mm -hmm. now being proven to improve test scores in some, in some cases, I guess like, you know, what a lot of people think about is like, how do you get past that that safety or maybe even just perceived safety of engaging students in these like scripted repetition based conversations. So like, you know, how, how do we move the needle there and going beyond that with, with English learners in, in math classes? Yeah. And whether or not you have um, English learners or multilingual students, uh, you know, you, you still need to move that needle from, I would say over, over scripting and over scaffolding. Um, a lot of times I've, you know, as a lot of people have seen kind of, these sentence frames, 10 or whatever sentence frames for a conversation. And it just gets, um, it's a little bit overwhelming and then a little bit demeaning at the same time for, for kids that, you know, because they also want to, uh, a lot of them want to build up an idea with another student. And if, if you kind of hem them in too much, they're going to just say, okay, whatever, I'll, I'll do it for school. Yeah. But, um, you know, if this is what I've been doing for a while. But if you actually let them, you know, again, let them be a little more free than you initially want to <laughs> and say, okay, I'm going to give you four minutes. And, um, you know, I might model a conversation beforehand, but I say, I don't want it to sound exactly like this. I just want, I want you to build up a, an idea or, or, or a solution method or compare these two solution methods or build up a way, a really clever way to explain this, this concept um, of balancing equations in math. Um, so, so that kind of thing, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive, especially if you're kind of really stuck on the traditional, I've got a model, 
you know, here's how I do, here's how you do these four or five problems. And then I want you to do the same. And then the bell rings. Um, so it's, it's very different than that, that framework or that, that, um, that approach. Um, so, and one of the, one of the powers of conversation is, you know, let them, letting them do some of their own experimenting, some of their own sculpting, some of their own, you know, hitting dead ends and backtracking. Right. And it, as they do that together, um, and then building up whatever concepts they're building up is, is, is it's a really powerful, even though it sounds really kind of fuzzy and idealistic, you know, when you get into it, you, you, you can listen to a, a really strong math conversation and that's what they're doing. Yeah. You brought up a couple of really good points there. And, and some of this, you know, has to do with what we talked about last time. You know, you talked about, I'll do it for school because it's this scripted thing that you kind of just have to do to go through the motions. We'll get to that a little bit more later. That's more of kind of a, uh, an overarching kind of question, but then you also tie, you mentioned the word demeaning, which I think is interesting, you know, that, that if, if, if the students are being given so many scaffolds and so much scripted conversation that it's like, you know, where, where's, where's my challenge here and where's kind of the opportunity mm-hmm. for me to talk with a partner. And I think, um, you know, when you talk about, uh, and, and I love it how you mentioned that this is good for everybody, not just English learners, but, you know, one of my takeaways from the last conversation that, that we had, which may be related to this, um, was that we need to dismiss the idea that academic conversations need to be overly formal. Um, And I think you're kind of getting to that a little bit. And that might be helpful as we think about English learners who are developing language skills. So I guess my question here is, how can a more informal approach to conversations uh, that that maybe, as you said, kind of fuzzy, um, really help students achieve success in the content area? And then maybe like, how do we know know that that that's happening? Or do we know that that's happening? Do we just kind of trust the process? Yeah, I mean, that's, I, part of it is, it's kind of both, but it's, it, there's also quite a bit of formative assessment and, um, you know, observation involved. So it's, it's not just, um, okay, I'm not, I'm going to take away all the, um, any, any vocabulary teaching or any uh, scriptedness or sentence frames, just going to take them all away and you got five minutes go. Yeah, right? yeah. It's not that, it's not that either. So there's also, um, you know, a, a a focus on again modeling conversations they should they should see uh you know sometimes it's a teacher and a student sometimes it's a, a transcript up on the up on the front uh board or whatever uh to analyze and they say notice here where uh what's this student doing oh she's asking her partner to clarify this concept right so, so it's, it's highlighting the clarify and the support in order to build up whatever idea or, or the justify. Why, why would you do that? Well, because in math, this is, this is what we can do and this is what we can't do, right? To, to get those, um, you know, this is how math works uh, type statements and justifications out. So again, it's, uh, you know, as a lot of people would, it's not just a free for all and it's not just an over. You have to find that, um, that line where um, it's, it's, it's just enough, you know, for that, Again, if you want to call it that, that right zone of proximal development, but that right um, progress moving forward. And in some cases, it might be I'm with a small group in the back and I notice they're doing this. I might model it right for them in, just in the back. I don't have to always pull it out into whole class. Or if I'm noticing things whole class, I might say, okay, let's, let's stop here. One thing I'm noticing in conversations is there isn't enough this or there is maybe a positive thing. I'm noticing a lot of really good communication uh, using multiple representations or something like that right so so there's 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 things you can do within that but it is it, it takes practice it's not like okay here's you know here's a strategy here's the, the procedure here's the write-up go for it 
and you're not going to struggle at all. You know, the first time you do it, it's, um, it's a lot messier, right. Then, um, then a lot of, I would call it, call it quote, traditional teaching strategies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that messiness is actually what kids like in a way, because in some ways you're, like you said, you know, you, like I said before about being demeaning, maybe it's not exactly that term, but, um, but in some cases we're not respecting, we're, we're telling them to memorize and just get the right answer rather than, um, I would say play around and you know construct their own notions of how math works or how any subject you know works. Sure. And it's not valuing their um, I would say some of that higher level thinking because it's so like okay well this is what you got to do because this is what the test is going to say you're going to have to choose this and this is how you uh, you know it's it's just it's leaving it a little more up to them um, to do some of the building. Yeah, you know, and so much of this, I keep thinking in my head the idea of structure and agency. You know, like, mm-hmm. you, and I've, I've been like as a teacher, you know, a very different sort of setting as a foreign language teacher. But I've I've been on both sides of that. When I think when I first started teaching, it was like the first thing I thought, which is horrifying, is is how, how do I teach? Okay, well, let me think about how I was taught. You know, in high school, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, even though it was really not very effective. Um, I mm-hmm. learned Spanish when I studied abroad. I learned very little in school. That was where where my mind went. So I. I had a very structured like format and then I realized, well, this isn't working. So then I tried to be less structured. And then it was like you said, you know, take four minutes. Okay, go. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> And mm-hmm. it takes a while to find that balance. And I, at the time, you know, I think I really had, um, well, how I started to another story. I was, I was relatively unprepared because I didn't study to be a teacher, but even in PD, you know, there wasn't, we didn't really dwell on that idea of finding that balance between structure and agency and understanding that, you know, classroom, may look messy and your evaluator or principal, whomever may come in and, and say, well, you know, what, what's going on here? But that messiness, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, is really part of the process, but you have to provide, right, uh, right. structure yeah. so that those students can be be sort of free to, to make a mess and to learn from those and get some dead ends and turn back. Yeah, exactly. Enough, enough structure, right? And so, and so once you feel like either your whole class or some of the groups, you know, have enough, have had enough of the teacher uh, given structure, then you, then you can let them go. Cause uh, you know, eventually, um, that's what you want by the end of the year or by the end of, um, you know, if you want to say sixth grade, ninth grade, whatever, whatever sixth grade, by the, by the end of something, especially by the end of 12th grade, we want them to have these really powerful, um, non scaffolded, <laughs> non teacher intervening and telling me what to do conversations with a wide range of people, not just our friends, mm-hmm. not just the partner next to me, but, um, you know, younger, older, uh, people, different, everything. And that's where, um, and that's where they also need just a lot of practice too. Some of it is, some of it isn't structured, but some of it is okay. Now we're going to, we're going to, you know, I, I want to see, kids working with every single other kid at, you know, at some point within a certain amount of time, right? It might not be in one week, but at the very least, it's not like, okay, he's just going to have the same group or same partnership the whole, because it really um, broadens, you know, our, our language, our, our content, our view of the world, our perspective, when, when we have that kind of um, conversation with, with others. Sure. Yeah, and you know, the one, one thing I'm thinking of here, uh, and, you know, I always sort of think of my own experience, um, again, as a language teacher, but I think it applies to math, and I know it applies to math as well, and that's the idea of, you know, before you can have conversations, um, or maybe while you have to have conversations, you know, you have to have the vocabulary um, to be able to talk about math, in my case, mm-hmm. to be able to speak the language of, of Spanish. So, 
you know, I've heard some in researching this idea of math and English learners in STEM courses as well. I've heard a lot of conflicting views about the idea of um, pre-teaching vocabulary and how it fits into into lessons um, involving students with varying language abilities. And I guess I should I should preface by saying that you know I don't pre-teaching by pre-teaching vocabulary I don't mean like you know the old memorize these fifty words there'll be a quiz on Friday and then you mm-hmm. can vomit them on a piece of paper and forgetting them. But like the idea of of giving students the tools so that they can have those conversations. So, you know, what's your take on that? I mean, is there a time and a place for pre-teaching or sh- should it only be taught in context, uh, you know, while we're having these conversations or is there a balance of both sort of necessary to equip students with the vocab that they need to engage in these types of conversations? Yeah, I mean, vocab teaching and, and pre-teaching, um, whatever you're pre-teaching always perks up the ears, right? Um, I think it's hard to... I would say teach vocabulary in the context or during a conversation. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, and, and, and one of the things that I, I have tend to focus on lately, have tended to focus on lately is, um, and it's a little bit extreme in some people's eyes, but if it's useful for students for real communication, then it's okay to try. Why is that so extreme? For example, well, there's, Sorry. you know, there's, there's different, a lot of different points of view, right? Like, oh, vocabulary is, is okay to, you know, it's okay to teach um, on a quiz, quiz basis. Uh, yeah. Here's a list of words you need to teach. And I say, well, that's a long list of words. In what context are, the, is that, are those 25 words going to be used? Yeah. Well, this is just for the whole. What, so, and, so that's the thing. I mean, one time I got in a little trouble because someone said, I've got these four different vocabulary lists. What should I do with them? And I think, you know, they wanted to decide which one I said, throw them all out (laughs) and then, well, and then figure out what you want kids to do with language, like what concept you want. And it could be writing, you know, it's pretty concrete. Um, I want kids to write down an explanation of um, how an integral works or whatever you want. Uh, And then figure out what vocabulary is needed for that explanation. Right. And then you, and then you have a shorter list usually, and it's usually more useful in the, in that context. And then you would have them use it, you know, multi, it's not just, here's some words for this conversation and then we're done. No, it's, you know, these are some words that maybe you pre-teach three words before a lesson or before even a, a, before a conversation and you say, okay, I'd like you, you know, for example, if you notice that some students are spending a lot of time and effort on, and maybe even confusion on acting out and trying to define the slope of a line, then maybe you teach that terms and some other terms before that, you know, before the conversation and encourage them to use it. I've seen some teachers even use little cards as reminders with the words on it, right? I don't like to overdo that, but it's still, you know, it seems to be useful. Um, they can still define it. They can still act it out during, but at least, it, you know, at least it will help them kind of solidify that. And it's during the conversation because I don't want to, I don't want to jump in halfway through a conversation with two kids and say, oh, you need to use this word. Right. Right. You, you, you want them to want to use it. Uh, and like you said, you don't want them to just memorize it for some quiz. Right. That's not really communication. Um, even though quizzes are, you know, pretty easy to score and kids think that's what school is. And it's a hard thing to kind of undo this idea of, you know, vocabulary quizzes. Right. Yeah, you just you just said something interesting too, and we talked about this a little bit in our last conversation. You said, you know, they have to want to use the words, right? Um, So let's get into that a little bit. Like, what are you know you think about words like that? I don't even can't even really use well anymore because my um, lack of proficiency in math, uh, for lack of a better term. But like, 
you know, denominator, reciprocal, you know, all mm -hmm. those words. How do we get students to sort of make use of that academic vocabulary in, in engaging tasks, tasks that are not, you know, sort of the rote, memorize it, explain it, and then we're going to have a quiz on Friday? Yeah, I, yeah, it's a great question. I, I mean, I struggle with that because there are a lot of you have to be extremely creative to to basically engage student. Now, especially as kids get older and the math gets more difficult, right? It's 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 fairly challenging. Let's say you know in a ninth grade algebra or um, a calculus class, there are you know there are definitely I would say problems that connect, but kids might not be interested in those problems. And so in the real world-ish context, um, you know, I, I, I have, at, le at the very least, I have teachers try to think about interactions that math teachers might have or that people in the real world might have, you know, related to whatever the math they're learning. So you know, initially I think, okay, what would, what would two people talk about that would ever talk about this concept of, um, you know, of using, well, denominator, they might not always use the denominator, but they might use, you know, fractions and that kind of thing or, um, or reciprocal or all the, all these other terms like that, that would go in that list. What do they, um, how, how would people use that? And again, that's a, that takes extra time because a lot of times you just have a math book, they're giving you the stuff, you know, and these are the, these are the sample problems and that's it. Right. Uh, so what would a conversation sound like is very different than just here to solve the problem. And so, um, yeah, I think one of the one of the challenges is to think about what is that. What could be a, you know, definitely if if you could hook them into a something that they're really doing or something that school's really involved in or something that's in the news, right? Then um, then that helps quite a bit. But um, I've also had I, I've seen some teachers, and I've never seen it on the semester level, but on a smaller unit or double unit level, have um, kids start a start a business, or at least you know kind of model a business and come up with the math that would yeah. be needed in that. And that's that's a hard thing to do for an entire math course, but um, but that's the kind of thing where you know you're really that's when that's when you go from kind of just playing school to, oh yeah, I, I, wait, what does that mean? Because you're, you're a lot more engaged in what the other person's words and what your words really mean back and forth. Um, well, one thing that people, I think, don't get is that academic conversations and most conversations in general are a lot of work. And so it needs to be worth the work. And yes, I will go through the motions if I don't see it's worth the work and I you know, want to get a good grade or whatever. But what I'd really like it is to kind of step, step over that, that line into, oh, this is, okay, I, I really want to do a little bit extra. I'm, I'm willing to say more. I'm willing to listen more and organize my thoughts and look up something in order to build up this idea that we're building together. I mean, that's right. kind of the, the goal. And I know, it's, I know it's idealistic. I have seen it happen. And I'm, um, you know, the more we can get that kind of thing to happen, the better. Right. Yeah. And I, so I certainly appreciate your sort of humble answer. I mean, you, you don't have all the answers and that it's a difficult thing to do. I think that's important to acknowledge too many times. You know, I've seen uh, from, from a lot of different perspectives, you know, researchers or other folks just saying, well, you know, this is what we need to do. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, when you recognize how difficult um, it is, uh, I think that that gives us kind of a realistic lens on on how we go about doing it. And I guess 
that leads into another question, which is a kind of a higher level question. And I think you just kind of partially um, answered it. I mean, for me, you know, one of the things that pushed me to do uh, more higher order sort of um, lessons that, that I think maybe in some cases um, allowed those students to really ask those pressing questions, really get beyond just the playing school thing was I saw other people doing it, whether it was in my own building um, or whether it was sort of, I don't know, I was on Twitter and I saw something interesting happen. Um, and I think that's one way that, that we, we move the needle. But, but what, I mean, how, how do you think we're going to be able to, you know, sort of start to motivate uh, teachers and even school districts and administrators who are sort of stuck in that more traditional form um, of, of teaching? And I guess, I want to really frame that around the idea that, you know, English learners are the highest growing demographic in our country still. Um, so how do we, how do we push that needle? What, what are the things that are really going to help? And I'm not talking about like a short term solution, but you know, in the, in the long term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, long term, I mean, one of the things that I've been trying to push for lately and it's not just conversations, but it's, um, you know, this, notion of communication and it's uh, how, how do we get kids to really um, want to authentically read, write, listen, speak, and converse, right? All five of those. Right. And because those are the main things that they're, in, in some cases you can put viewing in there and, um, you know, and watching, you know, or listening, but, um, but, you know, these things take a lot of these, you know, communication takes time. And it often depends on the school, the, the messaging that they have, the professional development that they value. Uh, sometimes it depends on who's running the you know, professional development, what their focus is on. Uh, it depends on their test score focus and how much they think, um, how much they think test prep focus, which is, I, I would say, a little more the traditional uh, teaching helps kids on tests versus the less, I would say, less obvious or less removed, but more engaged, deep, deeper learning that comes from having kids, you know, do what we're saying, what we're talking about today. And that's, you know, converse about these things. Um, and so, so it really depends on that. It, it depends a little bit on, like what you said before, there are schools that are engaging in, you know, these, these types of conversations a lot and their test scores are not going down. In fact, you know, some of them are going up. It depends on how much you value, um, the also the non-assessed aspects of having kids engage in conversations, right? The agency, we don't often assess that, you know, in May on a multiple choice test or, or one piece of writing or whatever yeah. it is. Uh, so some of it is like, okay, it's less tangible, but it's thinking about the, the, the whole student and, you know, agency, uh, belonging, the feeling that I, you know, belong and that, that I have these relationships with others. Uh, I'm going to go back to school. I'm not that interested in the content per se, but I, you know, but let's say I'm just, you know, not every kid's interested in every content, but I do like what's going on in class, right? Whereas if it's just a memorized game, I, I don't like the content. I don't like memorizing. I feel isolated. I'm out. 17, 17 people don't know my name in this class and I've been here, uh, you know, since September. So that's the kind of thing that, that, um, that I think we also need to gauge, right? And a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, uh, and I think great focus on social uh, and emotional learning these days, which conversations, you know, play a role in. And, um, 
and I think that's the kind of thing, even even the mindset stuff and the mindfulness, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're kind of all related. And, um, and and a lot of it's good stuff, right? It's really, it's getting beyond, okay, here you got to memorize how to answer this question or how to choose the, the right answer on a test. It's getting into, here's how we construct knowledge collaboratively uh, with others. And um, and it tends to last longer, right? Even though sometimes it might not be exactly on the test the way we uh, want it to be. Uh, there's a lot of kids learning stuff that doesn't get tested, but it, it is helpful for their lives. Right. Yeah, I just actually jotted down the idea of social emotional learning as you were talking. Um, mm-hmm. I was also thinking about like, I mean, I've been out of the classroom for a few years now, but I do feel like the more that I sort of talk about this stuff and, and bring in people from a wide variety of perspectives, I mean, I'll be honest, sometimes I feel like I'm preaching to the choir, but when we have these difficult conversations that are a little bit more tense, I think, you know, we start to get at the root of some of the the issues and challenges Mm -hmm. that we're facing. But you mentioned social emotional learning. I've kind of been studying up on like the math practices and how so much of that is connected to to speaking and to talking through problems and to be thinking about your thinking. So I guess Mm -hmm. like, I guess, do you see... do, do you sometimes I feel like we're in a really, really good place where there's things that are happening sort of from the bottom up and from the top down. Do you see those things like meeting and coming together to 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 benefit you know English language learners and 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 teachers who are interested in doing this kind of thing? I mean, I'm I'm looking at an article right now that says students talk through math in this California school and now test scores are rising. You're starting to see this stuff more often. That's from EdSource, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Do you see that convergence? And if so, like, is it, is it manifesting? Is it starting to happen? Um, or, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's, it's hard because I, I mean, I'm definitely out in schools and, and, and classrooms, but not, not nearly enough to kind of make that statement that that's changing. I, there's a lot of places that won't call me in and, or won't call anybody who does similar stuff that I, yeah. that, that, that I do. Yeah. Um, and they just won't call you in because they are so focused on, oh, you know, we, we have got to get our test scores up and we're not going to take a chance on this, this other stuff that might take away our, you know, our, our, our slight growth we had last year. Right. right, right. Uh, and so I, I think that's, that's where I, I you know, I, I'm glad some of this stuff is happening. I'm glad some articles are coming out, but I also was, you know, in a state last year and, and they, there's still quite a few districts that were pegging teacher pay to test scores. Ugh. So that kind of thing is still happening. And so, you know, if, if I'm a teacher, I might not think uh, that, well, I might think that I just have to do the test prep or either I'm going to, oh, it's some, and I think some of it was also teacher hiring and firing, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I might get fired if I don't raise the, the scores and this is too much, it's, it's, you know, it's too, it's too removed, too disconnected from um, from the tests for a lot in a lot of people's minds. So, I think there need, there would need to be a lot more of that in both teacher education programs, professional development programs in general, uh, because there's still a lot of professional development I think out there that at least I've heard that are still you know pretty focused on test scores. Sure. And um, well, supply and, and demand, so, I suppose, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, overall, if you, if you take a step even further back, you've got a lot of curriculums that, um, for example, the, the, most of the standards um, that are tested are, uh, you know, most of them are reading and some writing and then math. Right. Uh, But, but there is, there aren't a lot of 
that, you know, there's, there's a few little attempts at oral language standards. Even the standards themselves, though, are not as strong enough in, um, in focusing on what, what, what a conversation should be. They're more focused on, I would say, speaking and listening. And so speaking and listening, speaking plus listening does not equal conversation. Right. The conversation involves them, but there's more going on. There's more, um, you know, connecting to previous terms. There's more thinking about what not to say. There's a lot going on, you know, rather than just, oh, he's a good listener. She's a good speaker, right? And so, um, and you're not going to have, and, and the, the assessing of conversations is even harder than assessing speaking and listening. And, and yeah. so that's where, that's where, you know, that's going to be somewhat, I would say, a kind of a grassroots movement. I, I, I know that, I don't even know if it's a movement, but I know that uh, a grassroots effort, I know that there are some teachers that are doing kind of a, they're definitely doing, you know, some good formative assessment of conversations and some are even doing a like an end of semester or end of year conversation uh, where they record it and they, you know, they, they assess it and they, they tell kids, Oh, what we're doing during the year is we're practicing for this final conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, here's what I, you know, here's what I want it to sound like more or less. Right. I want it to, I want you to go back and forth. I want you to be building up ideas. If it's, um, if it's a, let's say a controversial issue, I want you to build up both ideas and then decide which is stronger, you know, without bias, ideally. And so I think some of these things still need to, you know, still need to grow. And, and I, you know, I'll read that article and it would be interesting to hear or to see across, you know, cross section or sampling of what those conversations sound like too, because that's another issue is just, oh yeah, we do conversations in our school. They might be, you know, one school might be, really amazing conversations and other school might say the same thing, but not have so amazing or they're even pair shares. Right. Right. Um, and so I think that's another, you know, fuzzy, very difficult to, um, to, I, I guess, assess or evaluate issue is, you know, the quality of conversations that are going on in, um, in and across the grade levels. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really a bunch of great points. I guess the one thing that uh, there's a lot there, um, but the one thing that resonated, one thing that resonated with me was the idea of bringing it back to your, you know, you talked about formative assessment earlier. Um, you know, there, there's so much potential right now to use these digital portfolios where you can have um, really mm -hmm. any kind of work demonstrated. I mean, I did this five years ago with, with a tool. Um, basically, the students, you know, created a book and they could have conversations and it could be, all be recorded. And like you said, culminates in the end. But, you know, that, that again, that really requires seeing things from a different perspective um, and kind mm -hmm. of a collective demonstration of what's happened over the course of the year. Um, mm -hmm. And again, mm -hmm. portfolios is one of those things <laughs> that can, for lack of a better term, become like bastardized. You know, it, be it can become mm -hmm. something that it's not supposed to be. Um, mm -hmm. So I think so much of this and what I appreciate um, about our conversation, Chef, is that, you know, w w I think you're getting beyond what these terms are. You're getting beyond like, you know what something is called and we're trying to think about how you actually implement it and mm -hmm. and we we keep coming across these obstacles but again i feel like if we don't talk about them um you know you can't you can't you can't get the points across yeah yeah exactly and i think um i think that it's worth exploring just like we want kids to explore these ideas but it's worth uh highly worth teachers just kind of getting together and, and talking about, well, okay, what, do you, what what are you doing conversationally in your classroom? And it could even be on a, 
uh, class discussion level, right? Because even class discussions should be building up ideas. It's, it's even a way of modeling. It doesn't have to be a paired or small group conversation. But at the very least, they're talking about um, what the talk does to foster learning. Yeah. And if we don't talk about that enough, or if we're just, oh, no, I just talk in order to uh, get the procedure across so they can work on their own or work in groups. Uh, right. And so if there isn't enough, I would call it meta talk uh, about, oh, well, how do we improve how we talk with one another, both, you know, say whole class or small group, or it's not just about our behaviors. It's not just about eye contact. You know, those are included uh, or, or body language. It's also what we say and what we listen to and what we do with what we listen to uh, each time. And, um, and so I, I think that's, that's where, you know, if, 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 and we've all been in these really intense, really good conversations. There's a lot of thinking going on. And, um, and our kids, I think, you know, our kids deserve um, to have access to that, to practice it, to then not just have access to that, but, but also eventually own that type of thinking when they get in conversations as well, right? Because when they're in, in, um, in college or in jobs, those are the types of conversations that are going to really help them uh, promote their ideas, help them show respect for others, and help them be, you know, really, really value. And, and, and I'll, I'll even go further, not, not just in those settings, but also in their relationships, their friendships mm-hmm. and their, their families. You know, these kinds of things are, 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 are ways to um, help foster that, um, not just agency, but also that ability to just, just be, Kind of appreciated in, in in the world, right? For how how well you listen and how well you um, approach topics and how well you don't just shut people down immediately and and tell them your opinion, <laughs> right? right. Um, Which is probably something right now that we need uh, maybe maybe more than ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I want to I want to come back to our last conversation. You had recommended a few books to us. Um, you recommended Classroom Discourse by um, Courtney, whose last name I may pr- pronounce wrong. Kasdan. Kasdan, okay. Mm-hmm. You recommended the work of Neil Mercer, um, mm-hmm. Shannon Anderson, and mm-hmm. Maria Nichols. So putting you on the spot a little bit, is there anything in the last, I guess, year or so um, that you've been reading, or even not in the last year or so, that you would also um, recommend to listeners? And it doesn't have to relate exactly to what we're talking about now. I'm just interested to hear what, mm-hmm. you've, been, what you've been reading. Yeah, I, um, there was, uh, uh, unfortunately, I forgot the name because it's been a little while. <laughs> uh, this is funny because it's, the book is called Distracted. And so it's a, it's more of a pop book, right? Yeah. But, uh, but, um, but I would say, and I got too distracted to finish the book, but <laughs> <laughs> I need to read a little further to find out how, how not to be distracted. But, uh, you know, I, I would say that's a, that's a decent book for these times, right? Where there's all kinds of different layers of distraction <laughs> yeah. and, um, and I get distracted pretty easily. And then, um, and then a little more um, kind of going, going back, going back a bit, uh, would be um, a guy named Gordon Wells, and uh, he worked. I think he worked somewhat with with um, Courtney Kasdan, but uh, he and Ken Highland also have talked about academic discourse a bit and, and classroom language. So they're they're a little bit, um, you know, they're, they're I, I would say put them more in the classic category than the more recent um, stuff. Sure. And then beyond that, uh, beyond that. Oh, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. 
That's right. You gave us one book and two names, and we'll we'll figure out who wrote Distracted, and we'll put that uh, okay out in the show notes as well on the website. Okay. Um, you said this before, but I want to make sure that we get this in. How can people find out more about the work that you're doing? Well, I, you know, it's not a fantastic website, but I have. Um, it's probably the easiest place to go, and that's um, uh, jeffsweers.org, and that's about it. For I, I don't I don't uh, do a lot of. Um, the other social media things. Yeah. I've been doing less and less too. Perhaps it's because I <laughs> find it distracting. <laughs> it's a little bit distracting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still distracted and I don't use those things. So I know, right. It's, I can't, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Well, Jeff, um, thanks for, uh, I mean, this, this conversation, I think we, we, t- we took a lot of twists and turns, but I think that's because um, of the complicated nature of what we're talking about. And one of the things that I've I said it a few times during this, talk but one of the things i really appreciate about you is 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 that you recognize that these are challenges uh try to propose some solutions some of which um you know are going to take a i think a sea change and others you know people can incorporate right away um so i know i'm um, i speak for lots of us on behalf of uh us here at elevation and i'm sure lots of teachers as well when i say really appreciate the work you're doing oh well i, I enjoy it yeah and i appreciate working with you all so we'll, uh, we'll just keep the good work going absolutely thanks so much Jeff. okay thank you Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.